Hi everyone, this is the Kundalini Collective podcast number eight uh, with Alan and myself, Samir. Today we have uh, a very interesting and um, a great podcaster, a uh, very interesting gentleman. His name is Brent Spirit. Um, I first came across him, I think, with Alan maybe about six months ago and really enjoyed his podcast, really enjoyed the way he spoke. Uh, very clear, very concise, very articulated and um, very down to earth. So um immediately connected with his content and I recommend anybody who watches this to check the notes in the video and we'll share his website and his uh, YouTube page. I think Brent also is a a counsellor or a guide and helps people through their journey as well. So um, I'm going to hand it over to Brent. Please tell us about yourself and a little bit about your journey. Well, thank you. It's, it's an honor to be here. Thank you so much for the, uh, the introduction. That means a lot. Uh, my journey goes back, I guess, all the way to childhood, like most of us. Um, bits and pieces uh, reveal themselves to me uh, as the years go by. I start to have memories from, uh, you know, my childhood, and say, "Oh, you know, that was uh, a clue about, you know, what was uh, to come." Um, as far back as I can remember, I always had some sort of interest in uh, in religion. Um, I grew up in a, a Catholic family. Um, sometimes people think I'm, I've got like a, more of a Hindu background, but I'm actually, uh, come from a small Catholic population in Pakistan. Maybe that's something that we could get into later, but, uh, so I grew up going to church and I always felt really, uh, you know, connected to, uh, to God in some way or another, um, fast forward to high school, you know, I go through depression and, you know, nothing can, nothing can help me, you know, my, my religious beliefs, I just found it to be, uh, you know, in some respects at the time, utterly useless. And I turned towards atheism. I found that uh, I was moving more towards a very nihilistic, cynical perspective of life in my in my darker period there with you know a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression. Um, eventually, I, I came across ideas of meditation and mindfulness. I read The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, and it completely transformed my entire life. I, I discovered, you know, this idea of being able to engage in, in in witnessing my mind, my body, my emotions, and it it created a lot of spaciousness. And I found that I could access peace in the present moment. And I, interestingly, I thought Eckhart Tolle, the the author, the spiritual teacher, I thought he had came up with these ideas, and I thought, man, this guy's a genius. But eventually, I I came to learn that you know a lot of this is adapted and you know he did a, he does a brilliant job of of presenting ideas from the east from buddhism from hinduism from yoga as well as the teachings of, of christ in a way that uh seems almost um you know universal and so i thought okay there is something there in religions and i can start exploring a little bit more um and so i began to explore buddhism you know there was a, a world religions class in high school that really opened my mind up to uh a lot of the validity of some of the the older traditions from the east began to practice yoga meditation mindfulness rather i should i should correct myself and say the first time i sat to sit in meditation i thought you know let's try this thing they call meditation i'll sit down and i'll, I'll look inside and i'll i'll see what happens because i'm really depressed and really anxious this might help me and you know suddenly i'm, I'm sitting there i'm 15 years old you know, fresh off uh, an atheist stint, sit in meditation, and suddenly my spine starts to move on its own spontaneously. My neck is bending forward, 
It's mad bending backward. I can't control it. I can't stop it. It's really strange. And so I open my eyes. I come out of meditation. I say, I don't know what that was. I get a little spooked. I continue forward. I don't. I don't meditate in in, in silence anymore. And I just continue practicing the teachings from from mindfulness, from from Eckhart Tolle, just being in the present moment. And I I recognize that this was the answer. Being in the present moment was everything. It can really uh, I could find peace in all my dimensions of life and relationships and creativity and schoolwork, um, any anxiety, I could, I could return to the present moment. And so I, I went all in on this, um, like quite literally all in, um, my life became completely oriented around this idea of, of practicing being present. And so, um, it wasn't just like a thing I do sometimes it became everything to me. Um, you know, I was working in a restaurant and it was all about being present. Anything, it was all about being present. Um, fast forward to 2012, I guess I'm I'm 19 years old. And of course, I'm, I'm sure our listeners, as well as uh, the two of you are both familiar, you know, the whole idea of the world might end, something was going to happen in 2012. And so this idea, for whatever reason, really impacted me. And I thought something is going to happen. And if I don't figure out how to develop spiritually, I'll be left behind. I didn't know what that meant, but I remember thinking I might be left behind and I don't want to be. Um, whether there was going to be like some sort of rapture, whether aliens come, whether there's some sort of cataclysm, I don't know, but whatever it is, I knew that if I continued to practice spiritually, I, I have the best chance of, of overcoming whatever that shift was to come on, on December 21st, 2012. And so over the summer... I found myself at a 10-day Vipassana meditation retreat. And here I learned how to sit in meditation, um, which I couldn't do up until that point, despite all my mindfulness practice. And uh, so I sat there on this retreat. It's very difficult, very painful. A lot of emotional stuff came up. A lot of physical pain came up. Um, but I, I made leaps and bounds in in my, my practice. Um, day one, I couldn't sit still for even five minutes. I I wanted to run. I wanted to leave. You know, by the the fourth or fifth day I was I was sitting at length hours. Um and it was incredibly uh um peaceful and and somewhat familiar and safe. Um so that was my experience with meditation um around 2012. Well of course the 21st came, nothing happened. I remember waking up the next morning saying, oh we're still here. Um and, and eventually from there I learned okay well this marked a shift towards a more accelerated collective awakening. Of course, this is about 10 years ago now. I think it's quite obvious um, looking back that we did make some sort of, of collective crossing over at that point. But from there, I began meditating. And eventually, I had a, a significant opening in my head during a practice of self-inquiry. So at the time, I had now moved more towards exploring ideas in Zen such as, you know, the the practice of koans, um, you know, what is true, who am I, what is the sound of one hand clapping, those sorts of questions, uh, which I think are, are very similar to uh, Ramana Maharshi's practice, uh, self-inquiry, asking, who am I? Um, and so I would practice this like very, very intensely. Who am I? What is true? Uh, you know, what is my original face? Who was I before my parents were born? Asking these questions very, very intensely. And they were all... Um, not just looking for intellectual answers because I had understood that they weren't about getting an intellectual answer. It was about something deeper. Well, eventually I was sitting uh, and I asked, you know, what is true? And suddenly it dawns me, nothing is true. 
everything is an illusion. This is a dream. I'm an illusion. I'm I'm a figment of some sort of dream. Brent isn't real. And suddenly uh, there was a big opening in my head. Uh, an incredible spaciousness came about in my head. And in that spaciousness, I couldn't find a center, which I would call me or I or Brent. There was just a spaciousness. And I recognized out of that spaciousness, that emptiness, that void, that field of awareness, a thought would arise. And then that thought would pass away. And then another thought would arise. And that thought would pass away. And I thought, this is just one thought arising at a time. There's no Brent there. It's just a field of awareness and, and individual thoughts one at a time. How can I think that this is me? And then I looked around the world and I recognized the entire world is arising out of this, this field of awareness as, as, a, as like a dream. Because when I go to sleep at night, my awareness, my consciousness, my brain, whatever it is, creates a whole dream world. And I thought, this is what this is as well. And this must be what they're talking about in Zen. This must be what they're talking about in, in Neo-Advaita, non-duality, um, Advaita Vedanta. The world is an illusion. It's all Maya. I thought, oh my God, you know, this is profound. This must be the experience of no self. And so from there, I remember uh, feeling a little excited because something significant had shifted in my perception of myself in the world. But there was an element of this is kind of eerie and spooky because I don't know how to navigate in this in this place. I'm looking at other people and I feel absolutely no emotional connection to them whatsoever. I'm looking at them as if they're characters in a dream, cardboard characters like NPCs in a, in a video game. And I, I found myself rather confused because I thought, okay, I seem to have awakened, but like what now? This doesn't feel like I can function. And so I found myself entering into what I would look back and call spiritual bypassing by saying, ah, well, it's all a dream. It's all an illusion. And there are some teachings in Neo-Advaita non-duality that say, well, you asked for this. I, we told you that, you know, it's not going to be what you think it is. And I thought, man, I don't know how to, I can't go back now. I've seen too much. I've seen behind the veil. I've awakened in the matrix, that sort of thing. Um, eventually, I, I found myself being very distant and cold from uh, my parents because I, I didn't um, feel that it was, I didn't think that they were real anymore, just like myself. And so eventually they were like, you know, what's going on? You know, you're not talking to us. You're, you're ignoring us. And I thought, hmm, why don't I just tell these people and see what happens? So I sat them down at the table and I said, you know, I'm spiritually awakened. I've accidentally realized enlightenment. And they lost, they lost it. You know, they thought I had, you know, gone crazy. I remember it freaked them out, um, as it should have, because it's, it's, I approached in, in a, in a very, uh, in a way without tact. And I recognized, okay, um, I should probably not tell anybody else about this because I'm going to freak people out. And, um, I look back and I can recognize that could have been what we would call a spiritual emergency or spiritual crisis. They, I think at the time they weren't, um, as our culture was, you weren't really, uh, uh, there wasn't a strong emphasis on mental health. And and so I think that maybe contributed to why they didn't put me in a, like a psychiatric hospital saying this guy thinks he's enlightened. But for whatever reason, they just kind of avoided it. And I recognize I have to um, just keep this to myself and figure out how to navigate. Um so I, I began to 
just figure out that uh, eventually I, by, by, by grace, by synchronicity, I open a book and I find, uh, you know, this is, um, uh, I'm experiencing Zen sickness, depersonalization. And they described in this book that there's an adverse effect of too much meditation in which a person experiences the life as a dream. And then I said, oh, okay, I, I'm having this. This isn't enlightenment. Yeah, something spiritual has happened to me. I'm not ill. I'm not mentally ill or crazy. But this is this is a pitfall on the path, what we call Zen sickness, depersonalization. And so, I mean, I'll, I'll make a long story short. I went around looking for help, asking, you know, different people that I thought were familiar with Buddhism, meditation, et cetera. And and nobody could really explain to me what was going on or how to how to find balance again. But intuitively, I've seemed to have always been guided. And so I found myself eating meat again. Up until that point, I wasn't eating a lot of meat because I was trying to, you know, awaken before the world ended in 2012. So I found myself just feeling like eating meat. I started eating meat. I found myself at yoga classes moving. Um, I think I, I started trying to go to the gym again to lift weights. And all of these inadvertently without my knowing brought me back into the body. It brought my awareness that I'd expanded so much back into my body. And in my body, I began to connect with others emotionally again. I felt my feet on the ground again. I felt like I was back in my body. Yeah, I had saw the, I saw that the world was maybe an illusion, but I recognized, well, I mean, I've still got to operate here. And so that's the first, I guess you could say, first half of my journey. And then the second half, now that I'm in my body, I began to have a lot of emotional experiences. I have this deep longing in my heart that was melancholy, was sad, but it was powerful. And in some respects, it felt good. I wanted God to be in my heart. I remember like feeling this, this longing, this deep longing for God to be in my heart. And so I would hold my hands on my heart and just feel this longing fully, feel the warmth. Looking back, I can put the words to it and say, I had known God. I had realized God on the intellectual level, on the, on the mind level, but I hadn't felt God in my body. And my body really wanted that. And so I would sit in meditation and now my meditations shifted from a being a more of a, a expanding awareness meditation or a third eye meditation or trying to witness. It just became a body meditation, feeling the, the warmth in my heart. And in these meditations, I would lie down. That's, that's what felt right. I wouldn't sit upright. I would lie down. And I found my, my spine began to kind of bend slightly gently, but noticeably. And I wouldn't resist it. I didn't get freaked out. For whatever reason, I was inclined to let, just let it happen. I didn't know what was going on, but it just felt right. Um, around this time, I'm exploring a lot of material online by some great spiritual teachers that are speaking about an embodied spirituality. Like Ram Das spoke a lot about you know relationships. He was very human. He was in the world. Um, a great teacher I love, Matt Kahn, spoke a lot about relationships um, in a very down-to-earth human way that called out spiritual bypassing. And this really spoke to me. There's another great teacher that I, I enjoyed listening to. His, his, his name is David Sparrow. And he was speaking in particular about something called Kundalini, Kundalini Shakti. So I remember listening to him. I don't know what this guy was even talking about, but I remember just going into sort of deep meditative states, you know, listening to him. And I just loved the way that he spoke. And um, if I can fast forward a bit, so this is kind of where I'm hanging out in this sort of, in, in, within the vicinity of these teachers. Um, eventually, I, I, I 
connect with a, a partner and we have a very powerful spiritual connection, it seems, a lot of synchronicity. Whenever we're together, I'm feeling a lot of energetic phenomena in my body, uh, chakras, this sort of thing. And I'm just going with it. It just, you know, it's it's a magical, it seems to be a magical encounter and I'm trusting in it and just letting it happen. Um, eventually, her and I and another friend, we decide to explore psilocybin together. And so um, I remember the two of them had had left the bedroom to go get a drink or something. And I remember laying in the bed by myself with my hands on my heart, engaging in this sort of practice that I was engaging in prior. And I remember just telling myself, I love you over and over again. I love you. Um, it felt like I was loving myself. I was being loved. I was love. Um, it, it was incredible. And this is a practice that I was doing for about a year prior for, for maybe at least a couple hours a day. And so it was very familiar to me. And I have this thought at some point in the middle of this, you know, beautiful experience meditation. Oh no, I don't know where my, my, uh, my partner at the time and her friend have gone. You know, I've got to make sure that they're okay. Maybe they got hurt. Something happened to them. And I hear a voice that says, whatever's taking care of you right now, Brent, is taking care of them too. So don't worry about them. Just relax and go deep. And so I say, okay. So I really just go deep into this experience saying, I love you. I love you with each breath. And I feel my heart expanding and expanding. And suddenly... In the base of my spine, there is a huge jolt and a jerk of of this explosion of you know what we call energy. It felt like the something that's quite literally the size of a freight train, a bullet train, busted through the the channel in my spinal column all the way up to my head in two big explosions, and it was orgasmic. It was transcendent. It it, it blasted me out of my head into a vast spaciousness. And um, it was incredible and orgasmic. And when I, I, I after I don't, I don't know how long, I came back into the room, into my body, and I thought, whoa, whoa, whoa that was intense. Um, and I looked around, I thought, whoa, I'm alone. I thought I was in the middle of, uh, you know, connecting intimately through sex um, because it was felt like that, some sort of sexual experience, but I was alone. And then I thought, well, did I have a release? And I looked downwards at my pants and, and they're completely dry. I thought, I don't know what that was, but that was something. Uh, my my partner at the time and her friend, they come in the room and suddenly I don't know if I've just entered the room and I don't know who I am. There's incredible unity consciousness type experience, incredible oneness. And they start telling me, I don't, they don't know who they are. And it's like together we had this shared unitive experience and um, it was incredible. But of course we can't operate in that state. And so eventually came back down, back into being Brent. There was an element of separation that returned that allowed me to function in the world. And um, there was still a persisting degree of something has shifted. Even the next day and then the following day, something had shifted. Uh, there was a connection with the world that I had experienced, that, that I never experienced before. The sense of oneness kind of persisted, but it was in the background. Um and from there, I remember my head would kind of shake like like this, and I would like have like loopy thoughts, and like I couldn't, I didn't feel like I felt like I was floating 
as I walked around, my body felt like almost like it was made of like paper. It was very light. And I, I, I couldn't really make sense of what had happened to me. Well, I explained the experience to a, a friend of mine and she says, hey, you know, I heard Ram Das talking about something called Kundalini. It sounds like what you experienced. And I thought, oh, whoa, Kundalini. I had a Kundalini awakening. And for some reason, despite that, the fact that I was listening to guys like David Sparrow talking about Kundalini or even Ram Das who had a Kundalini awakening or Matt Khan who had a Kundalini awakening leading out to this experience, for whatever reason, I didn't put two and two together and recognize that that's what I experienced. Um, it's, it's a funny thing. It seems to happen to many people. They, they, uh, they always seem to have an interesting way in which they discover that they had a Kundalini awakening. So then I thought, okay, I had a Kundalini awakening. So of course I started looking online, doing a lot of research and I found, okay, so this is, uh, the body's experience of spiritual awakening. And I understood that Kundalini would bring things up to purge and purify and cleanse. And so I I expected some sort of things to come up uh, from my past, pain, wounds, et cetera, trauma, all of that kind of stuff, karma, whatever you want to call it. So around this time, my my partner at the time, who, you know, I thought I was in the, you know, the peak of all peak spiritual relationships, suddenly, you know, it tells me it's over. Um, I have a difficult situation at work where I, I quite literally walk off the job in a panic attack. I go home and I sit in my bed and I begin continuing this meditation with my hands on my heart saying, I love you as very, very difficult, dark, painful things begin to arise for the next six weeks straight. Um, I meditated like that probably six, seven hours a day and all sorts of challenging things were coming up um, from my childhood, from, from past lives. Uh, of course, a lot around the the heartbreak that I was going through, a lot of... Um, uh, emotional things, um, shifts in the way I've understood the nature of reality, um, um, on every level, emotional, even sexual, a lot of the sexual shame, guilt that our culture has sort of inflicted on all of us that was coming up all very difficult things for me to see, but knowing that I had the practice, I was familiar with Vipassana, which is of course, observing reality as it is without judgment. I relied on these foundations that I had laid in my path to allow these things to come up without pushing them away, without judging, without resisting, recognizing that this is their chance in the lights before they're released and healed from my system. And so after each of these healing cycles, I would say I'd go into a meditation and something difficult would come up. When it left and when it did leave, just by sitting with it, I felt a significant shift. I felt like I had been healed. I felt a little lighter, a little less dense, a little less maybe shame or guilt or frustration or fear. And so I thought, okay, this is working. I'm being healed through this. And so that is how I developed confidence in the process, trust in the process, a uh, difficult process, but I had this trust that I was taking care of and this is helping me. Um, eventually, I found myself, you know, after a few months becoming more and more stable, the healing cycles became less and less frequent. And um, eventually I found myself recognizing, yeah, I, I'm going to be called to serve and help people that are going through this as well. But I looked around in my own family, my own life. I was like, I, I'm it's still a mess. And so I, I took 2019, which is about four years after the awakening, 2019, I took it off of spiritual uh, practice, exploration, meditation, all of that. And I just wanted to be in the world. And so 
Um, I established like a photography business. I, I, I worked on healing my relationships the best that I could. And I made some significant progress on those fronts. And then December 2019, um, by grace, by synchronicity, however you want to call it, I had uh, a joint of cannabis that had been sitting in in somewhere in my in my in my room for over a year. Um, I I felt like I should uh, you know uh, smoke it, and and uh, I came and I sat down, and something took over me in meditation, and I hadn't meditated for a while now. And I began chanting Om, like with with real, real um, dedication, you could say, or something was chanting me. And um, suddenly I found myself being forced in a gentle way into what we'd call uh, body locks, like bandhas, um, Uriana Bandha, Mula Bandha, um, which is, you know, the pelvic floor being drawn up, the core being drawn inwards um, to a very high degree that I couldn't do if I wasn't, um, I couldn't do on my own. And suddenly spontaneous pranayama was happening, which is of course, spontaneous, uh, intense breath work. Um, it's all it's happening to me. I'm just, oh, I'm just witnessing it. Um, I understand that this is some Kundalini phenomena. And so, um, I, I I'm fully trusting of this. There's no fear. I, I'm, I'm very, uh, uh, somewhat comfortable with what's happening. If anything, I'm excited about what's happening. And, and, um, this energy begins moving up towards my head again and starts pooling into my brain, pooling into my brain. And um, there are some significant shifts that are taking place that I don't quite understand what's happening at the point, at that point, but I'm trusting it. I, I've understood surrender to the process and I just, I just let it happen. Well, at that point, then um, I am with a presence or maybe I should say presences, multiple, plural. And um, I feel safe. I feel very comfortable, very familiar with the presence. And I, I hear uh, telepathically, would you like to uh, be shown your message? Uh, sorry, not, not your message. <laughs> I spoiled it a little bit. Would you like to be shown your mission? And uh, I say, well, what the heck is that? You know, what is, what's going on here? And they say, well, I say, okay, well, tell me what this is, you know? And uh, I, I, I have a mystical vision, you could say, of a, of a scroll, a giant scroll being rolling down on the scroll. There's uh, a transmission that's, that I'm receiving about how I'm being called to be a messenger to support people going through awakening at this time of ascension on the planet. And, you know, I'm given the opportunity. Nothing is forced on me. They give me the opportunity to accept or deny this mission. And I say, okay, wait, hold on. Before I accept, you know, what do you mean a messenger? I, I, I'm supposed to come up with this stuff because I didn't feel confident about that. And 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 the president says, you know, no, no, you're not supposed to come up with anything because you're just a messenger. We'll give you the messages and you relay them. And I thought, okay, that's a little less pressure. So am I supposed to be a channel? Um, and they say, you know, like kind of like Abraham Hicks or a, or a Bashar, um, you know, these chan these people, these human beings that channel these these you know sort of interdimensional or source energy, you could say, and they speak so perfectly, like flawlessly. And I thought that's a lot of pressure. I don't know if I can speak perfectly and flawlessly. And they said, no, we don't want to be a channel like that. You'll get the message, relay it in your own language, in your own way, and you can't get it wrong. All you have to do is show up. So I thought, okay, I can I can deal with that. 
Okay. And so I told them and I was like very firm with them. I said, look, if you don't get me, if you don't make this easy for me, don't blame me. If you don't give me the message in a clear way to share, don't, don't blame me. I'm not asking to do this. I didn't come to you. You came to me, make it easy for me. <laughs> this is the kind of, I and mean, this is a little bit of like a, what my personality is like. And they said, oh yeah, okay. No worries at all. Yeah. So just, you just have to show up. So I said, okay. So in the astral mystical realm, I remember, you know, signing this, this scroll, it was kind of dramatic and, and exciting in that way. And, uh, I let it go. And I said, maybe that was just the weed. Maybe that was some really good weed. Um, but of course, I know from experience that it's not just drugs. It's not just a hallucination. These things are tools that can be used um, with the right intention to develop spiritually. And um, oh, I'll, I'll add one thing. They told me never smoke weed ever again. Um, and so that was what they told me. And um I've always, whenever I've approached it, it's always been with the intention to grow spiritually. And like I said, up until that point, I hadn't in, in quite a while. Um, so I've always had great reverence for that. I think that, you know, Mary, marijuana, Mary Jane, it is the divine feminine. Um, and of course, we see some uh, in India, the, the, the sadhus and the yogis, um, you know, use it for spiritual development and meditation. Um, so I, I just add that in because I don't want people to uh, become a stoner trying to develop spiritually because it can be uh it can be challenging for some people but anyway at that point i'm just saying i'd like i said to those beings um who by the way before they left said to me we are the palladians and they were gone um now i hadn't been exploring documentaries about the palladians i hadn't been reading about the palladians i don't know much about them at all this is what they said to me and they were gone so I said, okay, if that was a real experience, well, then something will happen. A couple of weeks later, a friend calls me up and says, hey, Brent, I'm opening a new yoga studio down the street. Do you want to teach meditation there? So suddenly I'm teaching meditation. I'm not talking about aliens, not talking about Kundalini, just talking about mindfulness, presence, et cetera. COVID happens, can't do that anymore. But the urge to create um, the momentum from the the yoga studio work, it, it carries forward and and. I begin writing, uh, starting a, a a podcast. Then I get very clear uh, direction to start speaking about Kundalini, and so uh, this is where my work uh, comes from: is um, you know just share support for those going through Kundalini awakening. My intention is to speak in a clear, grounded way to say I don't, you know, I, I don't, I don't know all the answers. To honor those that are skeptical, to honor the anxiety around it. I think it's all valid because it's pretty freaky stuff, and so. That's why I'm really, uh, I really admire the work that, that the two of you are doing here as well, because um, more and more people are having experiences like this, and it's it's freaky stuff. It's hard to talk about. I mean, Kundalini awakening, you know, it's it's really far out. Thanks, Brent. That's a really fascinating story, and um, there's a lot to unpack. So, I'm going to put some questions aside and just start with the simple basics, which is obviously you now you help as a guide for others. What would you say? Uh, if you were to, to, to succinctly say one or two or three points, what are the key points that help people through an awakening process? Yeah. So number one, I would say is you're not alone and you have to prove that to yourself You have to be your own advocate and go out and find other people that are going through this. Um, which means, uh, like I said, being your own advocate. So it's, it's finding that other people have experiences. You're not the only one. It's not unusual or unheard of. It doesn't matter how this happened to you, whether it was on some sort of drugs, whether it was in meditation, whether it was in a dream, 
um, it's, it's valid. So that's number one, find the others. You don't have to even talk to them. Just know they're out there. That will help you to feel like they're not that this is a normal, known, documented process. Uh, number two, I would say then from there, understand what the process is about. It's about healing, transforming, and and furthering your evolution along. It's not an illness. It's not a sickness. It's not a syndrome. Um, it's it's with great uh, purpose to to heal and transform. And therefore, we're not victims when this is difficult. Um, because of course, it is difficult, and many people can feel like this is a curse. Um, but I would say. Uh, when you have a, a a tumor and you go to surgery and they cut you open, that's not a curse. That's a great blessing. And um, this is what this is. It's like surgery to to heal us and develop us, and not just to bring us to a back to a baseline, but to take us to a higher level of of operating in the world. As Smith said, um, I mean that's a fascinating of um, story, and um, and um, there's. There is a lot to unpack. Um, you hi highlighted a, a number of issues that, well, potential pitfalls that people could fall into, um, such as you know, you're talking about going through a stage of dissociation, the potential pitfalls of, um, it's, it's Neo-Vedanta, in the sense that things don't um, matter because everything's unreal. Um, and I thought that I, it's something that's, close to my heart, so to speak, because um, for me, um, the, the, the heart chakra opening was a big part of my own personal experience and hearing hearing the, the flute music and all uh, all that, um, and um, not telling the professionals that. Um, so, I mean, they say there is so much to unpack, but I'm just gonna ask a question about that, the sense that, um, How would you describe the um, the role of, I guess, the heart and love? Because you also mentioned, you know, the the need, well, the need, but, but the, the positive, no, to help others, basically. Um, how would you describe that as being part of the journey? Yeah, so the way I like to think about it, and I think we'll get into this um, when we talk about the different types of awakenings, but... I like to look at the heart as the heart center. There's three chakras above, three chakras below. The center is where this, this is where it's at. And so in the heart, we honor our humanity. We honor our individuality, our emotional life. We honor our responsibilities and our, our worldly experience in the body. But we also have elements of the of the head, the crown chakra. Which honor our spirituality. It's what's in the heart that we we the, the two are integrated and balanced. And it's from this place then we recognize that there are real people out there that need support and to be served and to be connected with and related with. And we serve them with our awareness of the spiritual nature of reality, that we are all all interconnected and there is all just consciousness. And so the heart is where it like it all comes together. Um, and so that's where I think service really, really comes from. Um, maybe not everybody ends up in the heart predominantly. Um, some maybe are more cerebral in that they maybe are great writers or geniuses, you could say, and they're not meant to serve. I think we all have a different flavor, but I like to think of the heart in that way, um, that it's the center of it all. Um, you, you mentioned... Uh different types of different types of uh, kundalini awakenings or awakenings in general and um just going back to your own journey your shadow work came 
but your internal work came after you had cosmic experiences. That's right. And that happened to me as well. And um, traditionally in Hindu Tantra, uh, you do 20 years of yoga and practice, or you, you might, you know, meditation and practice and ethics, yamas and niyamas, and you develop that kind of sense of self before you start having the, the more cosmic experiences. So um, I've had an experience where I had cosmic and then I did the shadow work years later and it sounds like you had the same experience as well. So, so what are your thoughts about different types of awakenings and different processes and different directions, the energy flows? Right, right. So I like to think about it this way. God is not limited to just moving in one direction. The divine can go up it can go down, it can go from the heart center up and down, it can go in a, a direction that we're not able to able to pinpoint in our journey. So traditionally, we do see the, the depictions of Kundalini rising, rising in an upward direction vertically through the spine from the root. And of course, like I described in my experience, I had the huge explosion um, you know, many years into my journey, and that we would call Kundalini rising. But Looking back, I think I was dealing with Kundalini even in the midst of, of 2012 when I had the whole head uh, being blasted open. I think that that was also part of the Kundalini awakening process and that what we would make, make look back and call it a top-down awakening. So the energy came poured into my crown um, as a result of the, the mind-based practices that I was doing, you know, inquiring who am I, what is true, etc. And so... Of course, back then I didn't have any of these models. And because our culture is so mind-based in our head, not very much honoring of the body, especially those traditions which don't talk about the body, they only talk about truth, realization, uh, in terms of realizing enlightenment, in terms of you know, becoming enlightened in terms of your body, in terms of your mind, that doesn't really have even in the language components that honor the body. In fact, some teachings reject the body as being merely a vessel uh, or, or like a vessel for the consciousness. And it's all about the consciousness. The body is just a meat suit. And this is what the kind of things that they say. And so when I had this sort of top-down awakening, I thought it was complete and it felt complete because all well, I recognize yeah. the nature of reality. What more could there be? Because nobody was really talking about embodiment, at least in the teachings that I was exploring. And I think that this was a, a common theme in the past 10 years for many, Neo-Advaita non-duality became very popular. And I think it blasted a lot of people's minds open. And now in the in the subsequent years, many are returning back to the body to have the now the, the bottom up rising complete itself. Um, so I, I, I think that this is, uh, people talk about different types of, of spiritual awakenings. And I understand that. I like to think it's all Kundalini in some respect. Um, it's just that Kundalini moves in different directions. Of course, the idea of Kundalini, I guess, is the Sanskrit term, coiled at the base of the spine like a snake. Um, you know, so the the in the the top down awakening doesn't fit the, the the coiled snake model. But like I said, this is the divine. It can move in any direction. This is beyond um, just mere like a, a biological thing, and so that's that's what I would say about the different types of awakenings. I think it's all one major awakening with different themes that we all experience to different degrees. I've heard you talk about a heart-based awakening or a heart-opening awakening in one of your videos. How would you categorize that? And I, I think you've experienced it yourself. 
Yeah. So I think some some of us tap into the uh the power of the heart center, which is of course, as we know, it's it's uh it's 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 a very powerful organ. Um it's a very obviously a very powerful center for emotional connection. And I think through emotion, we can also have an awakening. So there's through meditation, awareness, through study, through devotion. I think the emotional aspect uh, is the basis of the devotional components of, of spiritual practice, bhakti yoga, they would say. And so when we're chanting the names of God or when we're praying or when like what I was doing was, you know, just feeling love for God, that's emotional. And I think that occurs only in the heart. We don't think about love, we feel it. And so when we feel it and it's really powerful, with great uh, fervor, I think it can trigger significant energetic shifts, what you would call kundalini. I said this before, but um, I, I had a theory about um, about love, and um, I'll just quickly tell it. Um, some of you might want to edit this out, but um, um, it's it's that this idea that um, when a higher dimension hits the third dimension, it's like a light hitting a massive diamond and then it gets split up into lots of little pieces. But then love is the energy that then brings it back together. So that love then brings back to the oneness. Um, so, I mean, I've wondered that uh, in a way, as, as I used to say in the late, late 60s, maybe all you need is love um have you got any thoughts on, on those thoughts yeah I, I love that image i i really do i think that you're you're right on because it's it's in alignment with my experience where i think everything that we experience is an emanation of light from that diamond in all different directions even the difficult dark things and sometimes we don't want to um, look at the dark things, the negative things. We want to push it away. Or we want to deny it. But what I learned on my journey was that there is only light in existence. So if that is the fundamental, I guess what you would call a, a premise, everything is light. Well, then so are my anxious thoughts, negative thoughts, violent thoughts my trauma, all of that is in some twisted away part of the light. And if I recognize that as part of the light, I I call that love. So I'm able to love the darkness by saying, I see you, you are part of the light. And by giving it that validation, it says, if, it, if I could personify it, it says, thank you for finally seeing me. My work here is done. I can return back maybe back to the diamond, like you'd say, it's like it all becomes consolidated back to oneness. But if we say love, light, peace, that's all oh, That's all part of the light, the joyful, the ecstasy, all of that's part of light. But the ugly stuff, no, no, that's something different. We got we to gotta ignore that, avoid it, label it. That's something else. No, I think all there is is light. All there is is light vibrating at different frequencies. I like to also think of love as the saying the word namaste, now, if we know in Sanskrit yoga, they say namaste, the light in me recognizes the light in you. It's easy to say that to a person when you know, you're know you having a good time. But I've started to say that namaste to my shadow, to my darkness. The light in me recognizes the light in you. 
it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy at all. It was, you know, take a lot of courage. But uh, like I said, that's how I was able to allow those things to be released and healed. And just to add a, a, a caveat there, there's ongoing healing work to be done here within, I'm still a work in progress. I went through a major, major purging and, pur and purification, but still things come up that I have to practice this, you know. Thanks. And that's, I think that's a, that's a really interesting answer, Brett. And um, I think you touched on a really important issue that I know Sammy is very much aware of, is the actual, you know, the, the importance of working through the shadow. Um, and also, so just the thought I had was that, you know, in, in, in our reality, we see things in a very binary way. So um, it's good and bad, um, light and day and so forth. But actually, the stuff that actually, in, on one level, can be seen as bad, can is 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 part of the process and can be can be the the best the best teacher. So, um, no, thank you. That's a really interesting answer, Samir. You might want to take that up. Um, thank you for that answer. Uh, there's a lot I can say about that, but I think I'll save that for another podcast. I'm going to ask you uh, about uh, your background uh, specifically. Um, you mentioned that you're from a Catholic background from Pakistan, but originally from from Goa. Um, so I've got a couple of questions or a couple of, couple of, uh, thoughts as well. But the first thing is, is as a practicing Christian, you went to atheism and, um, you had a Kundalini awakening and you seem to have, uh, experienced and referenced Hindu and Buddhist Tantra in, in, in your conversations. Have you had any reconnections with your Catholic or Christian faith through Kundalini? I have actually, in that I recognized the validity of mysticism. And I would say, I would define a mystic as one who has direct experience with, with uh, union with the divine, a yogi. Um, uh, and so I recognized Jesus was a mystic. And just like uh, any of the other mystics that I would respect and sometimes connect with, um, such as Ramana Maharshi or Ananda Mayama, Jesus was also, uh, you know, up there with those great saints. And so I was, I've been able to uh, develop a sort of personal relationship with Jesus as the mystic stripped out of the, the larger context of Christianity as an organization. And I've made a little bit of peace, not all, but I've made a little bit more peace with the organization because I recognize, well, they're attracted to Jesus because he's a, he was a valid mystic. Um, unfortunately, of course, all sorts of things arise uh, that are, you know, difficult around a sort of organized religion, but I, I've returned back. And I, I, I guess I could say um, one thing I could say was that I was, you know, when I was young, I was, you know, I was very religious. You could say a very devoted young kid loved Jesus, you know, really drawn to, to the church and whatnot. But as, as I became an atheist, I recognized, well, it's, there's so much abuse there. It's all lies and manipulation. Um, and I, I, I raged against it. I raged against um, um, the organization. I thought Jesus probably didn't even exist. So they made him up, et cetera. And I, I was, you know, it was blasphemy. You could say blasphemy. But one thing I can say is that uh, you know they they describe Jesus as being you know the this, the 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 ultimate um, embodiment of forgiveness, 
he said he forgave me for uh for all my my blasphemy towards him and, and uh you know my uh my resentment he he uh he forgave me in, in that sense and um i've made peace with it now um but i i, I don't uh i don't go to church i don't pray any catholic or christian prayers um i don't i don't have anything to do with that sort of thing um but personally as a mystic i recognize jesus as as a, as one of my uh my inspirations you mentioned uh, no you had a you know you, you were told your mission and um i think quite a few people and this has happened to me um I might occasionally sort of hear sort of little words you know, a few words maybe saying this is a test or some little words for advice or guidance i think that could be quite a common experience knowing the kundalini process have you got any thoughts what those different voices or guidance could be no just what your thoughts yeah are? so there there's different ways of looking at it and and um i know that you know what I shared there about you know being given by mission by you know what we would call aliens, uh, the Pleiades, the Pleiadians. Um, it, it's pretty far out stuff, um, and, and that's why I haven't talked about it much at all in my work. I focused on supporting people going through awakening. I I don't see myself as uh, an ambassador for uh, any uh, you know intergalactic uh, race or something like that. It's not my interest at this time. Um, and that's why I, I haven't really disclosed much about that. I think it takes away from the validity of, of my message about the validity of Kundalini. Um, but I'm ha happy we could talk about it today. Um, there's different ways of looking at it. I think ultimately, if we can go back to the, the ultimate reality, everything is one, all is oneness, of course. And so I don't think that there are separate beings out there anyway. I don't think that you or I are separate. I think we're the one expressing itself in this way. And so if there are some sort of intelligences that appear to be out there communicating with us, we can honor their apparent separation and use that as as, uh, as interesting context to relate. But ultimately, it could be a part of my consciousness. Um, it, the voices that you may hear that are supportive, uh, that could be your intuition. Um expressing itself in a way that you know makes sure makes sure that you pay attention um i think it also could express itself in these ways just because it makes it interesting um i i don't know all about that but what i can say is uh it seems as if the work that i've been called to do after being in, you know given this mission has been supporting people um it seems that way it doesn't seem that i've harmed anybody i haven't uh i i seem to be uh high functioning despite you know having contact with some sort of hearing hearing voices you could say and so um I, I would lean into that and 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 open open up uh uh the conversation to hey maybe maybe i did make it up like i said i mean there's there's i think it's called plausible deniability i was i was on i was intoxicated right and so Maybe all of all of that was just uh, something I was uh, making up, but it seems to have been meaningful. It seems to be in the case for you as well. Um, I, I I can't say much beyond that. It seems like uh, there's more to uh, to life than 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 we all have understood, 
And if I can add one more point there, the other day I was in a meeting uh, in When Lightning Strikes, uh, similar to your organ organization, Kundalini Collective, and people were there you know, with the intention of talking about Kundalini Awakening, but uh, I think it was 100% of people in the meeting had had some sort of either strong interest or direct experience with uh, uh, receiving guidance or some sort of contact with uh, intelligences not yet fully accepted or understood by uh, the population. That, 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 that's, that's really interesting. But I mean, something I'm very much aware of is there's lots of different re frameworks you know, to, to understand reality. And um, so someone, um, if they're experiencing an, an energy, might, if someone's devotedly traditional Catholic, they might see that energy as an angel someone else might see that energy perhaps as an alien or, or, or whatever. I mean, um, um, and um, as you, so I think it's an interesting subject because I think it's a, actually a, a common phenomenon and we well, could be the guardian angel again, this, the, all these different frameworks. Um, so thank you for, um, thank you for your answer. I'm going to just uh, unpack this subject a little bit more, partly because normally in our podcast we try and stay grounded, so it'd be interesting to follow this up a little bit. And also, as Brent, you know, today uh, the House Committee is having a conversation about the potential uh, UFO or UAP cover-up in the United States, and there's been a growing conversation, even in national newspapers, talking about this. Um, and this isn't. Um, this may or may not be related to our, our own spiritual awakening experiences, but um, you mentioned the Pleiades. So we're going out there a bit for our podcast because we'd like to stay a bit more grounded, but just just to indulge this topic a little bit. And you may or may not have any thoughts about this, uh, but um, do you see any connection, or do you see it even? Maybe you see it's irrelevant, but do you, but do you see any connection between? The spiritual awakening process the growing individual and collective awakening process and maybe the idea that we have a connection to something more cosmic the earth has yeah yeah well i, I do have some thoughts on that and uh, i'll preface this by saying you know like, like your show i also like to stay grounded like i said um you know my work here is to support people that are struggling with kundalini awakening you know the difficulty around that and so i i don't um claim to be an expert or to be super focused on these topics, but I do have some thoughts, especially considering that I've got some experiences um, with this type of thing myself. Um, I do think that there's a strong correlation between the collective ascension, the collective awakening that's taking place on the planet and what's happening um, in the in the sphere regarding um, you know what we what we'd call uh, disclosure or uh, the lead up to disclosure or even just the conversation around uh, you know UFOs UAPs etc. Um, for those who aren't in that uh, space at all, like don't um, have any interest in it. I mean, like Samir was saying, Congress, the U.S. government today is is having a hearing. Um, I was listening to it earlier uh, a couple hours ago. Um, and it's being taken, you know, very seriously. Like this isn't just, you know, people blogging about it on the internet or something. It's 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 a very serious conversation that people are having around uh, uh, this phenomena and the potential presence of of um, you know what they would call non human non human intelligences. Um, I think that the uh, the physics around how some of these crafts operate, um, and this was 
what they were talking about in the in the meeting in Congress today that they're this you know interdimensional, and um, of course you know even the word interdimensional it, it's it's very much a word that we see uh, you know in in metaphysics in the spiritual field. Uh, when people talk about astral projection, remote viewing, NDEs, OBEs, all this kind of stuff, it's something interdimensional that they're experiencing. And so I think that in order for us to even be able to digest how those non-human intelligences are functioning and operating and how their vehicles move and whatnot, we have to have some sort of sense that there's more to life than physical reality, the material world. And And what does that mean? It means spirit. There's something non-physical, right? Um, you know, they would maybe call it uh, um, dark matter or, or something like that. They're using some medium to to travel that implies that there's more to life than just the physical world, which is what mystics have been saying all this time anyway. And so I think that collectively our role or our path is that we collectively move more and more towards a sort of uh, a, an elevated spiritual state. Now, I don't mean everyone's going to be walking around being enlightened, but I think everybody, or maybe not everybody, but the more majority of people will be generally open to, yeah, I've experienced spacious awareness in my own self. I know that there's more to me than the physical. That alone opens us up to being able to accept and understand how some of these um, you know, non-human intelligence are operating. Because I don't think they're coming here with, you know, going to a gas station and putting gas in their in their crafts and flying over here they're teleporting they're they're doing something that requires uh, a spiritual understanding of life we use the word spiritual we can use the word non-physical dark matter um interdimensional travel etc but it all comes down to some of these more metaphysical concepts and, and not to mention you know when they communicate they're not going to be communicating with words they're going to communicate telepathically or, or that might be a way that they communicate. And that will also blow people's minds because they will think, well, like we were talking about earlier, am I hearing a voice? Well, no, we're, we're able to do these things. And people have telepathic communication on psychedelics and meditation all the time anyway. These are spiritual experiences. So I think the more uh, we awaken, the more easily we'll be able to accept their technology, their ideas without freaking out. People will still freak out, but... Um, I think uh, I think it'll be an exciting uh, unfolding over the next few decades for sure. One thing it, it brings to mind for me is is um, and it's happening in in physics as well. This idea of materialism versus uh, is is material is material fundamental or is conscious consciousness fundamental? Right, and there's this battle in physics at the moment. But in spirituality, we realize that potentially consciousness is fundamental, that everything is consciousness. And when you look at the UFA phenomenon and the way that they seem to be expressing themselves, if you move past the physical reality, there's something deeper, and it might be consciousness, that they have a connection to consciousness that we are still in, we still are, are connecting with. And hopefully one day when we connect with that consciousness, we realize we're part of a bigger family, a cosmic family. Um, so there are things converging. And they're converging in the real world. So, so uh, one thing I want to ask you about this, and, and is I see a parallel story with the UOP phenomenon and the spiritual awakening phenomenon. And this is how I see it: that ten years ago, the UOP phenomenon was on the fringe. Twenty years ago, it was on the fringe, and the fact that the New York Times covered it in two thousand seventeen, the fact that it was on sixty Minutes last year, it's moving into the mainstream. 
do you see any, a similar parallel process with with spiritual awakening that we're in the fringe at the moment but do you see a movement towards something more mainstream or at least in the middle ground yeah totally i i love the connection you made there i hadn't recognized um you know the prog the progress that's been made in, on the on the the ufo front it it, it seems to completely align with the progress that's been made on uh, on the spiritual front as well. Um, you know, if we look back at the same 10, 20 years ago, meditation was this weird thing. Today, everybody's meditated. Everybody's had some experience um, or at least uh, is aware of it um, in, in, in a sort of accepting way to some degree or another. Not everybody, of course, but um, I, I see even within uh, the, the field of psychology, um I, I, they're they're returning i guess you could say returning or rediscovering uh all of the ideas that were there in the east already spirituality um around mindfulness meditation um of course they use different language even the topic of kundalini has been uh discussed by some peer-reviewed articles and whatnot um i think people are taking more taking this more seriously all of it and um I I think even uh, the government at some point that the U.S. government has like a document where they even uh, uh, investigated Kundalini awakening, and so it seems like it's 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 coming out more and more. More and more people are open to these ideas. Uh, I think also with the advent, not the advent, but with the uh, the recent um, rewelcoming of of plant medicine and psychedelics, I think that is also opening people up i mean i described earlier about uh, my experience you know on uh, on cannabis here in canada cannabis is 100 legal every corner has a has a shop and so i can imagine that there are many people out there that are you know just ha trying to have a good time and end up having some sort of deep meditative experience or some sort of spiritual experience or maybe in my like in my case having some sort of kundalini awakening experience or or maybe even contact but uh, i see, definitely see the two fields emerging in, in a very uh uh, coinciding way and i mean it, it only makes sense at some point you know maybe there's like a very uh materialist hardened person in the military well when they make contact with some sort of spacecraft that's operating on on metaphysical properties they're gonna have to open their own mind up and recognize that maybe there's something metaphysical about their own self too so um I guess and this is open to Alan as well. Like, do you do you feel like we're going that we're in a strange time, and you've been positioned yourself like you know 2020, 2019, you were given this kind of message. I feel like I was given something like that around two thousand six, two thousand seven, but it was it progressed more and more and more. But it was giving me a kind of weird timeline. It was saying to me twenty years, twenty twenty six, twenty twenty seven, twenty twenty eight, twenty twenty nine, twenty thirty. You have to be prepared for this. So I just wonder, do you feel anything like this? And I'm not saying I know what's going to happen, and I'm not talking about anything negative. It's, it's more like a global awakening, and not and a slow, a, a transitional awakening, not a huge bomb, but something. Do you want to right. talk about this, or do you, do you do you hear anything about this, or feel anything about this? Yeah, well, um, I omitted one point from my encounter uh, with the Pleiadians. Um, I've told very few people this. But they told they gave me a timeline, and like you, they told me, and this was 2019. They told me, "Do you want to know what your mission will be for the next 20 years?" And so that brings 
it's similar to you, I guess you had experienced a similar timeline, but of course in the 2006, um, that would bring us to 2039. Now, in my view, I don't know what happens once this quote unquote mission is completed. Um, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'll get sick and die. That's one thing I've contemplated. Um, maybe it will have to do with, um, you know, disclosure, arrival, et cetera, et cetera. I don't, I don't know. Uh, maybe I'll um, have a family and my mission will become just raising uh, the next generation. I don't know. But um, y- yeah, I-, I see that, uh, you know, there is a, a similar uh, a timeline here. Um, it's not going to happen overnight. I think a few decades, but um, we're in very, very interesting times. And the other day I was thinking, I said, well, look, you look at the vastness of the universe. Of course, there's something out there. And at some point, two civilizations are going to make contact with each other at some point. Why not us? Why not now? Can I just take this in a slightly different direction? That's that's very much related. Um, I'm going to bring it to this of the topic of you know, the, the crises that you know, humans have, you know, humanity's created, you know, the, the, you know, the extinction of species, climate change, you know, the, the ecological um, crisis. Um, it, it can be argued that what's behind the crisis, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a system, it's the capitalist consi- um, system you know, of consumption, ever-growing economic growth, profit for before anything else um and you could also argue that a big base of that system a belief system that that helps that system function is based on the fundamental misconception that we are all separate so that we're separate we're competing we need to build up our own you know wealth at the expense of someone else um and this system, which goes back in some ways before capitalism, that sense of separateness and how people you know, have nations have functioned against each other and so forth. It seems to me that that misconception and going back to Christ, you know, when supposedly he said, forgive them for they know not what they do. That seems to be this fundamental misconception. And so I'm wondering, I mean, that um, basically humanity seems to be coming to sort of a, a crisis point where the, the way of being for, for a long, long time, it, it's it's hitting that point where it's created, that way of being can't carry on or ultimately humanity won't carry on or will only carry on in a, on a very small back to basics form. So what the question is, <laughs> is do you think that spiritual what role do you think spiritual awakening kundalini and wider spiritual awakening might have in to to help humanity to try to solve the problems that humanity has created yeah i i think that um there's a lot of potential there for those that are going through spiritual awakening kundalini awakening etc to become um influential uh, uh to inspire others uh, to lead towards a more uh, holistic way of of living um i don't think that everybody has to go to a, go through a kundalini awakening in order to uh you know make some positive 
shifts on the planet. Um, but I, I think, um, you know, Abraham Hicks says, uh, one person in alignment is, uh, is more powerful than millions that are not. And I think that, uh, if, if there's any chance for us to, uh, overcome some of our, our collective difficulties, I think it will require a, a, a spiritual approach. And I don't mean that, you know, we got to get everybody in the government and whatnot, like meditating and, you know, taking plant medicine and stuff. I just mean like, just so that they're inspired uh, to maybe operate a little bit more from the heart as opposed to from just the head. And I think it will take some awakened people to 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 radiate that inspiration outwards. Um, I I also uh, I mean this may contradict a lot of what others feel, but I, I also feel that um, like the individual growth process, it all often comes with a lot of of great difficulty, crisis. Um, death and rebirth. I think collectively we will experience some 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 good difficulty on those fronts as well, um, and it will require uh, that a few people um, understand the the trajectory of the journey because they've been through it on the individual level. They see it globally, and they sort of hold space for the world to go through its own healing, death and rebirth crisis process. Um, so that is another way, I think, in a more passive way that we can uh, support the trajectory of the planet. Um, I may be a little bit more pessimistic than some, but it's just what I've observed. I mean, you know, we see it all, all, all day, every day. People don't change on an individual level. People don't change until things get real, until, until it's almost too late. Until, until things get really bad. And I think that's what we're going to experience on uh, on the planet as well. And it's just that um, we've got to just hold steady and, and trust, trust in the trajectory of growth. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, I'm, I really agree, agree with that. It's, it's like with, you know, the personal spiritual, spiritual emergence, emergency, um, it's, it's on a global level, it's, it's not going to be, and it um, it won't be an easy ride. No. Yeah. I have got I've got one random question, just um, just following up from something that Simon has just said. Um, I mean, as Simon has said, I mean, um, you know, you talk to people who've been through Kundalini awakening, especially when someone's been processed for a, more than a short while. I think very few people would say they wish it didn't happen that they really appreciate um well there's a gratitude and, and appreciate um the positive side um but i on the other hand what this what my question is i i know i know of people very well-intentioned people people i've got a lot of respect for actually um who um are interested in looking at what triggers a kundalini awakening um with the intention of forming a program um, so that more people have continued awakenings through a program. Um, I just wonder what your thoughts are on, the, on that kind of idea, you know, the pros and cons. Yeah, I think um, 
I think within some traditions, those programs do exist. Um, you know, like a Shaktipat initiation. Um, but what I would say to those that are are offering that type of thing is that it's very important that they are accessible to support people in the aftermath, which could potentially be decades. Um, I know that there are some who may offer some sort of transmission activation, Shaktipat, and it's then the person is left on their own and they come to people like me. Maybe they're coming to your organization as well saying, I don't know what to do now. I went to this event and you know I, I don't have the money to go back and talk to them or they're in another country or whatever, or they don't have an answer for me. And now they're trying to figure out where do they go from there. So I think that if there are programs organized to transmit and awaken Kundalini and another, they need to offer the full uh, uh, spectrum of support ongoingly because this is nothing to take lightly. It's not like a training or a weekend. It's it's quite literally blasting them open and changing their life on every level. Um, and, I, and so uh, around that, of course, as we've seen throughout history, uh, you know, all, all sorts of power dynamic issues arise, um, you know, guru worship, abuse, um, you know, extortion, you know, all the financial stuff that, that comes up. Um, uh, I, I also see that there are some who are, you know, training others to also activate other people's kundalini, but they're training them en masse. And there's teams of these people. And I just begged, it begs the question, you know, this is a 10, 20 year long process for, in some cases for some people. How many people have gone through to the point where they can now support others in a meaningful way? And what are the chances that all of those people just happen to be operating under one organization led by, you know, one person? It just begs the question, you know, what's going on here? I don't know if they're, I, I'm not, I can't say for sure. Maybe they're doing great work and this is what they're called to do. I don't know. But I would just argue that, you know, uh, we, we can't, uh, you know, set bombs off in people and then not, not help them deal with the aftermath. Thanks. Uh, can I just add to that, uh, Brent? I've seen a few videos online and maybe you've seen the same ones where people, this the title is, this is a continuing awakening. And then there's somebody hovering over a woman or a man and then doing spontaneous mudras and the person's writhing and moving and uh although that is that could be a symptom or a manifestation of kundalini awakening it's not necessarily a kundalini awakening it doesn't really tell the story of what it is which is a long process of a lot of work so there is a i have noticed that there is this kind of uh what is it there's a there's a space and it's not a big space but there is a space where people are uh, selling the idea of of awakening as a kind of thing, and uh, is it, I don't know how to put it into words. Is it a business? Is it spirituality? But but they're making Kundalini awakening a very kind of orgasmic, joyous experience. And obviously, we've talked about the very dark and quite difficult, challenging moments of the of what Kundalini awakening can bring to you. So, do you do you see this? Have you, have you seen this kind of other culture that exists under the Monica Kundalini and what are your thoughts about it and how can we counter it? Yeah. So, uh, just the other day, um, I, I came into, uh, contact with, uh, somebody who offers a touch free energy orgasm 
And it seems very similar to what you described in that they are manipulating the prana within an individual with the hands, you know, drawing prana up with motions like this, moving it up. And this is not uh, unheard of. I mean, it's, it's you know, we see it all the time. If you have some sort of sense of energy, you're able to, to tune in and recognize, yeah, they are manipulating the energy in a person, um, the prana in particular. Um, it may have something to do with Kundalini, but like you described, they're, they're you know, maybe calling it kundalini awakening this is kundalini awakening well somebody else is doing the exact same thing and they're saying this is an hands-free energy orgasm and so it's uh different monikers different uh, umbrella terms used to describe some sort of pranic manipulation of another person whether it is a full kundalini awakening or not i'm doubtful um and if it is which some of them may claim it is well, then I don't know how responsible they're being in giving that to people. So in either case, something is off there, um, at least in my view. And I'll admit, I haven't looked too much into it. Maybe one day I'll have a conversation and somebody will, will you know, break it down for me and I'll say, okay, I didn't understand. But based on what I've observed, what I've read about what's going on there, it seems that um, uh, it, it's it's being, I guess, marketed as something to do with kundalini but uh either very little to do with kundalini and um of course i say this as you know somebody who's claims to have had a real kundalini awakening and you know, i'm doing all this work online about kundalini awakening and so i understand it may come across as if i'm trying to say uh i got it right and they don't and i i do recognize that and so putting my own work aside i just want people to be safe i don't want people to get abused and I don't want people to have uh you know energy awakened in them and then go through you know intense purification and have no idea what's going on that's my main concern I guess um what we're all trying to do myself yourself and other groups out there is is there's no necessary fundamental idea of what a modern Kundalini awakening might be because in the Hindu Tantra there was not no such thing as a spontaneous awakening it was either through Shakti part or through austere yoga for many many years with the guru lineage and now there's some, a new phenomenon happening and it seems to be growing and it has certain patterns, many things are different. But what all of us share in, in our side of this kind of collective is that we understand it is challenging, it's life-changing and it requires support. And it's not something you should try uh, flippantly. You really, really have to think through what it's going to do to you if you seek it out. And you have to check your own ego if you seek it out because it doesn't give you spiritual greatness. Um, so I see your what you're doing and your work is, is fundamental in this because your videos are amazing and, and they're very um you're a very good good and articulate speaker and you bring all the right subjects out in the right way. So you have good information and it's not um hierarchical and you don't set yourself out as a guru. So what's great about what you do is you're sharing this information, you're asking people to form their own thoughts and you're having a conversation, just like us. Uh I guess I just hope that our movement outside of this movement grows and people connect with us more because there is this other side which is just the kind of what i would suggest is maybe spiritual bypassing it's the more the ecstatic ecstatic side of kundalini i think in the hindu tantras um the pranic movement is called pranathan or pranathana and it's before kundalini is when you when you balance out your idda and pingala and you can see some of the in different cultures they have shaking and movements and the holy spirit there's movements in the when you have the Holy Spirit in you. So all cultures have a form of spontaneous movement and spontaneous shaking. 
but there's something special about Kundalini. And if it does, if you do seek it out, and if you do have an awakening experience, you have to be prepared for what it shows you. And it can be quite challenging and quite dark. Um, I'm just sharing it out. I don't know if you have any final thoughts about this. Yeah, I, um, I, I agree. I think that, uh, yeah, like, uh, like you said, I think it has more to do with some of the preliminary stages to the awakening. Um, and, and that's a pitfall for many on the path. Even myself, sometimes we do have experiences which feel so mind-blowing that they feel like they could be complete. You know, ta-da, I've made it, but there's much more. Um, and, and so that's that's tricky because uh, some people may go to an event and then think, you know, I had a, I had a Kundalini awakening, it's done. But um, there's lots more on the path for sure. Um, yeah, I think, uh, of course, our, our, our missions are... Our, are are very similar and in alignment um to to uh you know raise awareness about what this is really all about yes it is exciting but it is difficult as well and it's nothing to be taken lightly um and fortunately though there are many that are going through these spontaneous awakenings due to maybe an activation event or um, um becoming interested or maybe psychedelics maybe they took a meditation class breath work etc but fortunately an organization like yours exists to then you know offer some support and maybe that is in the overarching picture maybe that's why there are some who you know we may call um uh misappropriating kundalini just to speed up the process. So more people go through something and then they find maybe an organization like yours and can carry on their journey. Maybe that's the overarching um, higher purpose for some of these, um, you know, dare I say, uh, uh, irresponsible uh, practitioners. Agreed. Alan, do you have any, any final thoughts or questions? No, I, I agree very much with what Brent's been saying. I, I suppose... Um, in some ways, what we've been talking about is is um, an egoic-driven commercialization of, of a Kundalini, turning it into another sort of product to sell. Um, and we, you know, we all know it's a lot more fundamental than that. Um, and um, but I'd just like to just say that I think the what Brent, you know, what Brent, what, what you're doing is is really positive and really helpful and um i think you know we can you know we build up a network of different groups like when lightning strikes and there's emerging scientist foundation and so forth there's a number of different groups of um people you know we all have a pretty slightly slightly different sort of um angle but we're all definitely it feels like we're there's a network of um people organizations working together in a positive way um and i feel you know, very privileged to be a you know a small part of that, and um, and thank you very much for what you're doing, which to me is very important. For sure, thank you, thank you both so much for the opportunity. It's great to connect with you. I really appreciate uh, this uh, this conversation and the work you're doing. Uh, you can find my work at brentspirit.com. I'm also on YouTube uh, at Brent Spirit. That's my channel. I recently did a conversation with Samir and Alan. We discussed uh, their journeys and the work they're doing at the Kundalini Collective. I've got a, a variety of different interviews with other people, uh, you know, with with decades of experience on Kundalini, as well as my own uh, my own talks, uh, Q and A sessions, and that sort of thing. 
uh, brentspirit.com. I've got uh, some free uh, courses uh, and programs and whatnot um, that you can check out. I also offer support for those going through uh, Kundalini Awakening. You can find out more, all of that at brentspirit.com. Thank you. We should put your details. We have a one-to-one support page on our website and some of it is people offering free and some of it is people like Crave Holiday uh, who are more experienced offering uh, paid. But I guess, can we add your name to the website as one of the one-to-one counselors and your details? Oh, I, I would uh, I would be happy to do that. Yeah, thank you. It, uh, it would mean a lot. Uh, at the time, I I, uh, I do charge a, a rate for a meeting, but uh, I have an option to uh, uh, allow people to offer whatever they're comfortable with because I understand that this process can uh, can turn your entire life completely upside down and income is not always steady. And I, I'm really uh, here to help. Uh, and we hope you can join some of our Zoom sessions. Um, they're the last Friday of every month, and uh, you mentioned you might you might join one or two of them. So please feel welcome to join us. Yeah, and I'll also uh, I'll be writing uh, a couple posts for uh, the Kundalini Collective as well. That's great. That'd be great. All right. Well, look, it's been a wonderful conversation, and um, people can watch your interview with us on your website as well. Um, yeah. And hopefully we'll talk about uh, other subjects in the future, and we welcome you back anytime. So thank you very much, Brent. Oh, thank you. Samir, Alan, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you, thank you. <laughs>